Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders Data Show. I am your host, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor Vincent Verhey. Joining me as always, Football Outsiders Editor-in-Chief Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders Contributing Writer Brian Knowles. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Doing good. Ready for Thanksgiving, man. Looking forward to it. It is Thanksgiving week, and we are here, as you noted, to discuss Thanksgiving turkeys, uh, such as the Minnesota Vikings, the Denver Broncos, and of course, the New York Jets, the perennial turkeys, it seems. But before we do that, I do want to mention a word about our good friends at uh, Underdog Fantasy. If your season-long fantasy teams are floundering, you can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. You can play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You could even win $50,000 if you grab first place. Or try their Pick'em games, where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. So... Thank you, as always, to our friends at Underdog Fantasy. And we turn now to our friends in New York, the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Uh, Brian, the floor is yours. Um, I'm not sure if anyone noticed, but the Jets weren't very good on Sunday, and that's generated some discussion points. Uh, In the second half, they gained two offensive yards. Two. That's that's bad. Here's a stat for you. That's bad. Uh, In the words of Robert Sala, uh, they played like dog shit. In the second half, surprisingly, that's actually it. Actually, wasn't the worst second half of any team in the league this week. That belongs to the Carolina Panthers, but no one, no one cares about the Panthers anymore. The Panthers are dead, and everyone knows that. The Jets are, in theory, playoff contenders, and they managed two yards. To be fair, I mean the the, the Patriots are, are incredibly good defense, and we'll get to that too. But the Jets averaged two point one yards per play. Uh, that's the second worst total of the year, only behind uh, the Colts and their flop against the, the Patriots. So the Patriots have, are on a pretty hot streak at the moment. The the Jets only gained 105 yards all game long. That's it's only the seventh time in the last decade where a team managed that, that few yards, and four of those teams are the New York Jets. They did it on Sunday. They did it in 2021 against Buffalo. They did it in 2019 against New England. And they did it in 2017 against Denver. This was uh, an all-time just flop of an of offense performance. Before you take into account the strength of their opponent, yeah, the uh, the Patriots have now allowed fewer than 125 yards in two straight games, and the only other defense to do that since 1978 was the 2000 Tennessee Titans in the last two weeks of the 2000 season. Uh, the Jets had more punts than completions. <laughs> the last, uh, the last three times that happened uh, with the Jets on Sunday, uh, the Malik Willis game against Kansas City, where they basically just abandoned the idea of passing altogether, and then the Jets against the Bills in Week 18 last year. So this is two Zach Wilson games, uh, and the last three times they just have have had nothing going on at all offensively. And, and you noted here that uh, this is this is not inconsequential. This is whatever the Panthers do at this point is is is. is irrelevant but the the jets are in the playoff race or at least they were uh but this loss cost them 16.8 percent 
percentage points in the playoff odds. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a very devastating loss, and frankly, even more devastating for what they might do should they still make the playoffs. It, yeah. It's uh, it's not just that they lost to a division rival. It's also that they played really badly, so their overall rating dropped. They went from ninth to 13th in DVOA. This game was a lot more one-sided than the final score. I mean, the Patriots gained 200 more yards than the Jets, basically. So yeah, we're going to It's incredible that it came down to the last to the last play that we win because by any kind of logical thing, the Patriots should have been running away with that game. Patriots had their own offensive problems, but not not in the same level. If you take out the final punt return touchdown, the Patriots still end up with post-game win expectancy of 98%. If you include the punt return touchdown, they have post-game win expectancy of 99.9%. Yeah. If that game had gone to overtime and the Jets had somehow come out with a win, we'd be talking about one of the bit one of the least predictive, biggest upset kind of games in history. Yeah. So we're gonna get into Zach Wilson now. I actually have some Zach Wilson data from Quick Reads, which went up uh, very early this morning here. Uh, Wilson averaged 1.7 yards per drop back. He was successful 19% of the time. Uh, he only threw for three first downs, all of which came on third downs. On first and second downs, he combined to go four of 13 for 19 yards with a sack. Um, two of those first downs came on consecutive throws in the second quarter. From that, from that point to the rest of the game, six of 14 for 24 yards. His only pass in New England territory was an incompletion on third and two. And he had six passes to receivers at or behind the line of scrimmage. He only completed three of them. And the three that he completed only gained five yards total. So that was he. Yeah. yeah. That's the crazy thing. Like he was missing basic screen passes. And this is not, this is not new. He's, he, you know, he has a, such a high percentage of his offenses schemed up at those screens or put jumps on the line of scrimmage. And he's having a hard time hitting those accurately. That that's that was what worries me the most about Wilson, above and beyond anything else, is that he can't even hit these really basic like we're not even going to trust the quarterback. We're going to set this up for you, right. and he can't always execute. The, those that's got to be close to a hundred percent. Yeah, he was under a lot of pressure, especially around the edges. But then there was late on there was a play where he actually they had a good pocket for him, and he had plenty of time, and he overthrew Elijah Moore on the sideline to where Moore caught the ball out of bounds, and it was just. Even when the rest of the offense sets you up for success, you can't do it, man. So on Tuesday, uh, Robert Sala's uh, press conference was delayed a bit. And when he did finally come out, he said that he is not committing to Zach Wilson as the starter for Sunday. And he, they need to evaluate. Uh, I suspect Wilson actually will be the starter. This, my, my guess is that he'll be the starter. This is, this is more of a lighting the fire underneath him a little bit. In his direct response to Wilson uh, at in the post game press conference, being asked like, do, "Do you feel you know like responsible? Do you feel like you let him down? Just flat no, like not taking any responsibility." The the anger in the locker room over his apparent blase reaction to one of the worst games we've seen this season. I I think this is this is more uh, a note that this this job is not guaranteed. You have to actually put in the effort and work more than it is we're immediately pulling you for Joe Flacco because I don't honestly think Joe Flacco is going to do anything to save the Jets season at this point in time. But we'll see. You know, maybe just maybe this was the final straw. Maybe, and uh, this will be the end of Wilson's starting time in New York. 
the uh, the locker room stuff matters. There was a report this morning that Justin Fields got together with the defense and apologized to them for the offense not doing their job against Atlanta on Sunday. And I think that the point of that report was to uh, contrast it with the Zach Wilson story. Because the fact is, Wilson, you know, I, I, I got some attention on Twitter for saying this yesterday. Wilson has not been the worst quarterback of the year once you adjust for opponent. Has he been the worst quarterback of the last two years combined? Yes. But just this year, the fact is, he's 27th without opponent adjustments. And he's 23rd with opponent adjustments. He has played the hardest schedule of opposing pass defenses of any quarterback in the league. That doesn't make him good. It doesn't excuse what happened Sunday, which even after you adjust for the Patriots defense was horrific. But he's actually been not horrific for most of the year since he came back from that early injury until this week when he was just horrible. Yeah. I, I dug up some more stats to try to put that a little bit more into context. I think what people are seeing when they feel when they, when they say Wilson's the worst, I feel like that is that anything he does positive seems to be schemed up. It doesn't seem like like when Justin Fields, whose passing numbers are worse than than Zach Wilson, still, it feels like when he does something big, it's something that he has generated. He like like he made a play. Right. Well, well, when Wilson does something, it feels like oh the scheme something was schemed up for him. He found you know the open receiver. Thirty one percent of Wilson's targets this season have been at or behind the line of scrimmage. And that's the third highest mark in all of football. And he has the worst completion percentage on those throws. If you take out all of those, uh, you know, those zero or lesser air yards, he falls back to 27th in DVOA, only ahead of like, you know, the the, the really terrible quarterbacks. Who yeah, Pickett, Mayfield, uh, yeah. Davis Mills. Yeah, so that, 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 that's what, I think that's what people are feeling, you know, is that, yeah, maybe he's not the worst quarterback when you see everything put together, but... And it doesn't feel like he's bringing anything to the table at this point in time. Anything there is set up. And like, surely there's someone else who can take the the offense that the Jets are trying to give them and get something more out of it. Yeah, someone else just might be on another team right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh... I, mean, I was joking around in the Discord. Like, we might be watching the Jets starting quarterback last night on Monday Night Football. The, the, the Jimmy Garoppolo could come in there and make them a playoff contender. Uh, I think because they can run that offense at a high level. Yeah, it's a 49ers-influenced offense. It's supposed to be the 49ers-influenced offense, and Wilson is not doing it. Before we move on, I do just want to say that uh, we saw Joe Flacco for three games this year, and uh, they didn't win one of those starts. But when you look at the, uh, when you look at their numbers side by side, Flacco's completing a few more passes. He's taking fewer sacks, which is important. Uh, lower interception rate, and that's that's very good. But he's also averaging a full yard less per throw, which is not not uh, not ideal. On the other hand, Joe Flacco has more touchdown passes in three starts than Zach Wilson has in seven, which is frightening, but uh, still true. Yes, but like I said, very hard schedule. Very yes. hard schedule. Uh, Brian, before we move on to the other team playing this game, there's a few more notes here about Zach Wilson we can cover. As long as we're digging dirt on the guy, let's dig all yeah. this dirt. Uh, coming into last week, I haven't actually had a chance to see uh, Sports Info Solutions updated numbers, but Wilson had the fourth worst catchable pass percentage and the third worst on-target pass percentage. Uh, 
which is bad when you're throwing so many screens and dump offs. You, you, those that have to be on frame. Um, he has the second worst in next gen stats version of CPOE or completion percentage over expected at minus seven percent. That's only ahead of Baker Mayfield. And of the 55 quarterbacks with at least 500 plays since 2018, only one quarterback has a lower EPA per play than Wilson, and that's Josh Rosen. Uh, Josh Rosen didn't get his his second season for uh, fairly obvious reasons. Uh, well, he he was going to get one in Miami, but he was so bad they couldn't they couldn't give him a full season. I, I, I've mentioned this before. I, I wrote about the Cardinals uh, after after Josh Rosen's rookie year, and I knew how bad his numbers were, but I came away with the impression that he was your average bad rookie uh, playing in a terrible situation, and I thought he would do better elsewhere. Instead, he declined significantly, and uh, that I'll, I'll never be able to quite grasp how that happened. Um, yeah, just uh, for Bronson Howe, who's asking some fantasy questions, the best advice we can give is underneath the show on YouTube, you'll find a link to our Discord server. And if you join the Discord server, you can ask questions in the fantasy channel, and people will definitely have answers for you. It's hard to sort of judge fantasy um, trades on the fly when we don't have the numbers in front of us for how well they've played this year or how well they're projected to play the rest of the year. Right. And the, the, the last uh, part there is the most important part. What, what are they going to do going forward is uh, uh, right. mo- most important part. And, and like you say, it's hard to have that prepared, uh, uh, ready to go. Uh, now, there were two teams on this field. Uh, the Jets were the one we discussed mostly. But the Patriots obviously won. And you, as you know, they probably they should have won even without that long punt return touchdown. But the punt return touchdown is notable. Yeah, the, it's the first time in the last 40 years in which the very first touchdown scored was a defensive or special teams touchdown in the final minute, which is just insane. Uh, Whether it should have been a touchdown, I suppose, is a bit up for question because there were those couple very near blocking the backs. But even if those had been called, they got them into field goal range for the easy chip shots. I mean, uh, it was was, was the math dodge uh, miracle in the Meadowlands 2 game all over again. Like, why you punted right to him, and he he cuts right through the entire uh, uh, entire special teams and just ends the game right there when you could have easily taken him to overtime. Punt out of bounds, right? Or just scramble and throw the ball out of bounds. But uh, regardless, uh, yes, the the, the Patriots should have won. In the end, they did win. And I, for one, am grateful. I did not need to see overtime in that game. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. The Patriots getting done and uh, letting us all move on with our day. Uh, one game that did go to overtime, the Denver Broncos and Las Vegas Raiders. And these Broncos, man, <laughs> it, it, it's hard to process just exactly what's going on there. By the end of the live blog on, on Sunday, I was less covering the Broncos Raiders game and more covering your slow descent into insanity, Vince, as you were <laughs> as you were trying to keep up with all of the mind-numbing decisions and, and, and incredulous plays that were going on. It was, it was, it was more like, you know, this this, this is a this is a, a mental health watch to make sure you're doing all right, having to watch this Broncos Raiders game stumble into a conclusion. It wasn't really a turning point in the game and didn't have a huge impact on the outcome but there was a point where the broncos uh got a broncos got a sack and uh the broncos got a sack they had the option of taking there's also a whole penalty holding penalty on the drive and they had the option of putting their defense on the field in second and 17 take decline the penalty take the sack second and 17 or accept the penalty first and 20 
and they accepted the penalty. Yeah, and that's weird. And uh, even the announcers, you know, announcers by and large do not just call out coaches when they're calling games because it's sort of their job for the product. But they were bewildered and pointed out this made no sense. If you can do the math on this. If you have first and 20 and you gain three yards, you're probably not happy about that first down play. <laughs> so uh, it turned out not to matter. The Raiders ended up missing a field goal on that drive anyway. It has nothing to do with why the Broncos lost. But it's kind of the defining moment of that just makes no sense. There's just no reason to have made that decision in that situation. And there were plenty of those dumb penalties by both teams. Uh, the Broncos are having trouble moving the ball. They get a, uh, a crackback block, which was thrown after the receiver had already gained a first down, but because of the penalty, moving back into third and long, which then the Broncos converted the third and long because Russell Wilson slid way short of the sticks, but a defender hit him in the head after he was down on the ground anyway. Just bad, sloppy, ill-prepared football, mistake-filled football. Just two bad teams playing a meaningless game. And the thing that annoyed me the most as I was preparing for this show is that that overtime, the fact that it went to overtime ruined a stat. Because before overtime, the Broncos were last in points scored and last in points allowed on the season. The, the, the touchdown in overtime ruined that stat. No one has been last in points allowed and points scored since 1946 when there were 10 teams in the league. So the Broncos are very, very close to doing something unbelievably historic. We should clarify this. Last in points scored means they have scored the fewest points. When you say last in points allowed, they have allowed the fewest points. Excuse me. Yeah. They, they, yes. yes. First in points allowed. First yeah. in points allowed, yes. It's a positive. I'm just saying a nice thing about your team, Broncos. Until the last two minutes of, of the game where you apparently decided to have nine players on defense and just not cover Devontae Adams at all. You've been very good on defense this year. Or Josh Jacobs. Or there are a number of big plays in the uh, Raiders' uh, game-tying drive than the winning drive in overtime. So there are uh, 31.8 combined points in the average Broncos game, third fewest in the 21st century, behind the 2005 Bears and 2006 Raiders. And this week, the Denver-Carolina game has an over-under of 35 points. Oh, God. Since 2013, there's only one other game that low, and it was la uh, 2019, sorry, when Baltimore played its backups against Pittsburgh in the last week of the season in a meaningless game. And that game had an over-under of 35. And went over, by the way, because uh, Baltimore won 28-10. to 10. But, yeah, that is a really low over-under. The, uh, the new Football Outsiders FO Plus over-under formula keeps picking Broncos overs because it just can't believe that these numbers are so low. And they keep going under. <laughs> it's, Every single time. It, 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 it's, it's insane. And in our efforts to bring you the most incisive and important stats, there's a Russell Wilson stat that's going around that I do need to share. Wilson is on pace to throw 11.9 touchdowns this season, which is fewer than the number of bathrooms in his new house in Denver. When I write the all-keep-chopping-wood team at the end of the season, that might be the entirety of the quarterback section. It sums up the size of Russell Wilson's contract and the absolute lack of anything remotely resembling production that he has brought to Denver. Now, it's not all his fault. It is not no, all no. his fault. It's Broncos, the Broncos had another fumble at the goal line. It was Melvin Gordon this time. They've had enough. 
they have sent him packing. Uh, four fumbles this year leads all running backs by Melvin. Uh, four fumbles by Melvin Gordon leads all running backs. So uh, they've had enough. They've sent him out the door. I, I don't think he has been picked up yet. He might be. Not yet. But uh, just more sloppy, unprepared football that we've seen from Denver all year. So and now Nathaniel Hackett. Remember, early in the season he gave up his some of his strategic decision making to a coach in the booth. And this week he gave up his offensive play calling to uh, to uh, is it Clint Kubiak who's there? Yes. 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 So the question is, what does Hackett do now exactly? He he was talking. He, he had a quote. I think it was on Monday. Like he was pressing the button to talk to uh, Russell Wilson, but didn't do anything because he didn't have the radio connections. Like so, the only thing that he really did on Sunday was accept that penalty to move it to first and twenty instead of second and seventeen. Like what 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 exactly does Hackett? do now it, it, on game days in Denver. He just kind of stands around and watches the Broncos flop around. It's, yeah, I guess he manages the locker room the other six days of the week. The, is, there, is there any chance he comes back for 2023 at this point? I mean, he, he seems to be like slowly taking away parts of his job in ways that yeah. he's already on the hot seat. And he's already got, got owners who did not hire him or anything. Like, is, is he packing his bags already? Like, yeah, like, he's I, packing his. I mean, I there's yeah. a possibility that he stays, but it seems really unlikely. <sighs> there's not really any justification for it, other than I suppose you could argue there's a financial hit to fire him. But Walmart there's owns the them now. Walmart family, they have the finances to and take. They'll, they'll they'll be fine. They'll they'll they'll, they'll scrape by us somehow. Um, by the way, for uh, just to go off uh, script here for a second, BU Vandals asks about Jacoby Brissett being fifth in passing DYAR at this point. Football Outsiders is not drunk. Jacoby Brissett has been shockingly good this year. He's also played one of the hardest schedules of opposing pass defenses. So he gets a boost from the opponent adjustments. But Brissett, like I don't have those standard stats in front of me to go to tell you what they all are. I can tell you that ESPN's QBR has him sixth. So that's very similar. And that includes his rushing value, which we don't include in passing DYAR. But Jacoby Brissett has had a shockingly good year. Like he's been so good that the chances that things are going to get better when Deshaun Watson shows up in two weeks are really small because Brissett has already been really good. Like, I, you know, that's Watson sets them up for next year and I'd rather have Watson going forward, but like Brissett has been really good this year. Yeah. Brissett is playing him into, into at least a competition for a starting job somewhere next year. I mean, if the, if the Browns had an, even an average defense, we'd, we'd be putting him somewhere along and talk to like, Oh, look at, look at Geno Smith is doing, look at Jacoby Brissett. We have this whole storyline of all these, forgotten backup quarterbacks coming in and playing well. Yeah, he, things are, things are right. he would only be um, eighth in DYAR without the opponent adjustments. I mean, he's not the only one. Look, Jared Goff is eighth. We know about Geno Smith already. But if you look at the Football Outsiders top eight, it has Jacoby Brissett, Geno Smith, and Jared Goff. It's, been a, it's been a weird year for quarterbacks when, when, yeah. when, Go- when you know, Goff and Smith and Brissett are in your top ten. Uh, it, it, it feels it's a weird transitional year for quarterbacks with so many of the uh, the old guard having 
subpar seasons by their standards, at the very least. And someone's got to be in the top eight. That, that's how number systems work. Someone's got to be up there. And there's been, been some some surprising uh, some surprising rejuvenations around the league. That, that that's part of it too. He's he's in the top eight by default. Uh, the top five by default. So, as you know, somebody has to be up there. Um, so you get some surprising results. Now there were uh, speaking of surprising results on uh, Sunday for one day after uh, at least. Uh, we already knew that the Minnesota Vikings were probably the worst eight and one team in NFL history. Well, and now they're eight and two, and that two was a big one. Yeah, I mean, I think we were all expecting the Cowboys to beat the Vikings. I don't think any of us were expecting the Cowboys to beat them forty to three. That is a that is a, a butt kicking of historic proportions. The thirty-seven point win is the biggest road win in Dallas Cowboys history, and they've got a lot of big wins in their history. And the thirty-seven point loss is the second biggest uh, loss in Vikings history. Uh, they lost by forty-two to the nineteen sixty-three St. Louis Cardinals when their head coach was Norm Van Brocklin, because we cannot go a month without mentioning Norm Van Brocklin on this show. Norm Van Brocklin is our mascot. Apparently. Really? But it was nineteen sixty-three Minnesota's expansion year? No, it wasn't. That was nineteen sixty-one. Okay. But it was it was it was the, it was the yeah. they, they were still building up at that point in time. Gotcha. Sixty-three okay. was their third season. Gotcha. Vikings are, of course, the worst team in eight, uh, the worst eight and two team in DBOA history. They they're going to be the worst team at pretty much any record they they reach for the rest of the season, barring some kind of incredible collapse. The only other negative eight and two teams were last year's Titans. And the 2000 Vikings, most famous for getting blown out in the NFC Championship game that year. It was like 43 nothing. A, 41 nothing. I would agree for those two teams. But they both made the playoffs. I mean, that that's the thing. The Vikings' loss didn't really hurt their playoff odds at all because they basically got that locked up. It did knock their odds of getting the uh, bye weeks at number one seed down by 10.5%. So, you know, if they had some hopes of, like, be, being right there at the Eagles – uh, despite the DBA difference, we don't see it. <laughs> uh, and one player having a great year for the Dallas Cowboys is Micah Parsons. Aaron, talk to me a little bit about how his uh, side production Yeah, we talked yesterday about how he's the uh, prohibitive favorite for yeah. defensive player of the year. Now has five games with two or more sacks this season. The single season record is eight by Reggie White in 1987. Reggie White having eight double sack games in 12 games in yeah. 87 because he did not cross the picket lines. Yeah, you know, whenever you see those 1987 sets, you always got to look for context. But nope, White was destroying professional NFL players. Yeah. But... And speaking of three, Rice have that year in 12 games. I think, I think at 22. Yes, Rice, Rice set the all time yeah. touchdown pass uh, receiving mark, which has since been passed by Randy Moss. He set it in 12 games. In 1987. Uh, speaking of Vikings, by the way, also means we have to mention the Giants because we're talking about worst eight and two teams. We have to talk about worst seven and three teams. There actually have been four teams at seven and three with a lower DVOA than this year's Giants, which were the 86 Chiefs, the 2020 Browns, the 2019 Bills, and the 2010 Bears. And again, all those teams did make the playoffs, and the Giants probably will make the playoffs too, but they're not a really good team. The Giants do have a bit of a tiebreaker problem uh, potentially coming down for the playoffs because they still have to play Philadelphia twice. Uh, the, the Commanders beat the Eagles. That 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 will give them a huge boost if they end up with the same record. 
yeah. in terms of, of, of the division record. So, the, so both New York teams are in playoff trouble at this point in time. They play the Eagles twice. They also play the Commanders twice in uh, in, in three weeks. So that's a uh, that's a team trying to take their playoff spot. So it, it's it's definitely not certain. It's not set in stone that the Giants going to make the playoff. Going to make the playoffs. They probably will, but uh, they've got a they've got a tough tough road road ahead of them. And they're at Dallas, of course, on Thanksgiving this week. Yes, great Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving has five teams with winning records, plus the Lions, who have a three game winning streak. Yeah, they, 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 for, for, for about 24 hours, the Lions had the biggest winning streak in the NFC at three games. You know, we, there, there was some talk earlier this season about how Dan Campbell had his men, you know, Dan Campbell's job was on the line. He, he's got he's got them back at least pointed in a positive direction after after a month of floundering in the wilderness. Hmm. Well, uh, one team that is also struggling is the Los Angeles Rams, who not so long ago were Super Bowl champions, but uh, 2022 has not been going as well. Yeah, they've, they've lost four straight games for the first time since Sean McVay became head coach. The bottom has fallen out. They're currently sitting at a negative 16.8% DVOA, which would be the worst for a defending Super Bowl champion in, in DVOA history. That, that mark is currently the 1981 Oakland Raiders, who are at negative 15.6. So it, it's close. It's neck and neck. But I don't think the Rams are hoping to be competing with the 81 Raiders this season. No, and uh, no Cooper Cup for the foreseeable future. I don't know if Matthew Stafford's already been ruled out for this week or not, but it could be Bryce Perkins to Allen Robinson for uh, a couple of weeks here on the LA. Yeah, I don't know because Wolford could, it could Wolford could come back from the neck injury that had him out last week, or Stafford could get out of the concussion protocol and play, or it could be Perkins. Like who knows? But they're the Chiefs are favored by fourteen and a half. And when I did the football outsiders picks today with Wolford as their quarterback rather than Stafford, we came out with a projected line of 16 and a half. That's a lot. It's a lot. That is a lot. Uh, some teams and some players are playing well this year. One of those is Atlanta Falcons star Cordero Patterson. Uh, the there's there's I suppose debate to be had, but uh, the best kickoff returner in NFL history, and he had a, another highlight play against the Bears. Yeah, he he, he and it's one he's been he's been looking for because he's been so successful as a running back that the Falcons wanted to stop using him as a kick returner, and they've taken him out a little bit, and he's been pleading and pleading to get more opportunities because he entered the season tied with Leon Washington and Josh Cribbs for with eight kickoff return touchdowns, the most in NFL history. He finally got his ninth uh, this week against Chicago. He is now has more kick return touchdowns than any player in the history of the game. And that might well be the last time we see him returning kickoffs because the Falcons do not want him back there because he's become too valuable on offense. But I'll also point out from that game, Justin Fields had a passing and rushing touchdown in his fifth straight game, tying Kyler Murray for most such consecutive games in the Super Bowl era. And if you only look at the last five games, Chicago has a top 10 offense. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the Cordero Patterson has averaged in his career 29.6 yards per return. That is tied for second all time with Gail Sayers, or tied for second all time behind Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers had 91 kickoff returns in his career. Patterson is up to 264. Um, I think that th- those extra 170-ish returns outweighs that slight edge and average that Sayers has. People want to talk about Devin Hester, Devin Hester, Devin Hester. 
Devin Hester was the best punt returner of all time. Kickoff returns yes. and punt returns are different skills. Yes. Patterson is the greatest kickoff returner of yes. all time. If you, want to, if, you want to come, if you only can have one, probably take Hester because he was a very good kickoff returner too. But best on punts is, is, is Hester. Best on kickoffs is Patterson. And they are not the same thing. And uh, they need to be. And if I wanted to take one, I would take Patterson because he's useful on offense and Devin Hester. That's fair. Yeah. That's a fair point. So the Buffalo Bills have had an up and down year, but they're on the verge of (laughs) doing something honestly really amazing on Thanksgiving Day if they can can beat the Lions. Circumstances have uh, given them a chance to do something that Detroit just can't do. So the Lions have not won games in back-to-back weeks at Ford Field since 2016. They've had 11 chances to do that since then. They are over 11. Uh, you know, you don't always get back-to-back home games, but whenever they've done, they've managed to lose at least one of them. The Bills, of course, had to play in Ford Field this week because of, you know, the 77 inches of snow that Buffalo got. It was just impossible to hold a, hold a game there. And they won. And they're sticking to Detroit because they play the Lions on Thanksgiving. So they have a chance pull off back-to-back wins at Ford Field, which the Lions have not managed to do since 2016. They don't play there. That's not their stadium. <laughs> yeah, we, we, if you're not familiar, Ford Field is where the Detroit Lions play their football games. In Detroit. Yeah. Detroit, Michigan. And uh, I guess it'll be uh, annexed by the city of Buffalo if uh, the Bills win on Thursday. Yeah, it, it's remarkable how many Bills fans made it to that game. Bills Mafia must be spread all over because I don't know how they got out of Buffalo. It was a lot easier to get to that game from Cleveland than to get to that game from Buffalo. All, all the video clips of all the Bills fans shoveling the driveways of, you know, the various star players. It, 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 there was some great social media stuff this week. And uh, as much as I, I, I miss, I would have loved to see this game played in the snow. Obviously, there was no safe way to make that happen. You may get people to right. go there, but... You know, just they, they, they made up for a little bit with all the various social media posts. They, there was there was a great one of uh, the Bill social media team released showed all their rookies and they handed them a snow a snow scraper and asked them, "Can you identify this object?" And all these players who were like, you know, from you know who went to school in Florida, in California, it's like, yeah. is this some kind of shovel? It's like you know, just gonna gotta be yeah, welcome to Buffalo, guys. This happens. Junior Seau, I think, had a big game in the snow one time. And he asked her about it afterwards. He says, I have never seen snow before in my life. <laughs> High school football in California. Played US, college football at USC. And uh, had been playing for the Chargers. And uh, happened to be in Buffalo or New York or New England, wherever it was. And uh, it was a first for this grown man to have never seen snow before. And he, I, I believe he had a great game in the snow, as I recall. It was a long Jim, time ago. Jim Kelly, you know, uh, the 84 draft said that Buffalo was the one place he did not want to go to because of all the snow and whatnot. That's one reason he he quit and went to the USFL for two years playing Houston. Uh, and of course, you know, just like, get me out of this. I, I can't handle this. Uh, it turned out okay for Buffalo in the long run, but just like, no. Turned out okay for Jim Kelly. I think he lives there now permanently. Yeah. It, it, it's a good, good good week for the Kellys, too, because Chad Kelly uh, uh, won, won, the, the, uh, won the Great Cup. Won the great cup. Came, yep. came off the bench as as a uh, as an injury replacement. Led the uh, led the Toronto to do victory, uh, not denying the Winnipeg Blue Bombers a three great cup winning streak. There is a segue I was not expecting to get to in the show: the Jim Kelly to Chad Kelly to great cup discussion. But I'm I'm glad we hit that. We I got another segue there. You want it's been, it was a great week for Mister Mister's irrelevant because uh, Kelly was Mister irrelevant in his draft, 
and Brock Purdy got into the game at the end of the Niners Cardinals uh, blowout. So good week to be a Kelly. Good week to be the last pick in the draft. He had a, he had a great highlight where he play faked the wrong way, ended up running from running the ball himself, and almost got a first down. I don't think it was a play fake. I think that was supposed to be a handoff, and just or, they did not know which direction to go in because they, you know, rookies don't get to play much. Or, or, or a zone read or something. But uh, yes, he he handed the ball off to air and then realized there was nobody else there and thought, well, I guess I better run this, and I almost got the first down. Yeah. I think uh, we're finishing up with uh, our weekly "Why the Kansas City Chiefs Are Amazing" stat. Because uh, tra- Travis Kelsey, the, the, the other big topic on Sunday night was, is Travis Kelsey the best tight end of all time? And because he had his, he has now had 33 games with 100 or more receiving yards, breaking the tie he had with Gronkowski for the most by a tight end in NFL history. Uh, Kelsey's really good. Uh, the, the, and I, again, as you pointed out on Twitter, Aaron, the moment after he made a huge catch is probably not the best time to have a who is the best tight end in history discussion, but. Kelsey's put himself in that discussion at the very least. Yes. Uh, we talked about it on yesterday's show. Uh, first of all, I favor the Bill James historical abstract concept of there's two different kinds of greatest of all time lists. There's the peak value guys and there's the career value guys. And sometimes it's the same guy and sometimes it's different. And I think the best peak tight end is Gronk. And I best the best career tight end is Tony Gonzalez. But Kelsey is getting close, and a couple more years of this, and he may be the best career tight end. I still feel like Gronk is the best peak because he basically was Travis Kelsey if Travis Kelsey was also like a right tackle. And and better at going deep because Gronk yes, was better at going deep. He, he was a better deep threat than Kelsey. Yes. When when. Yeah. when I haven't done it in a while, but you, you you chart like average gain and 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 touchdown rate for tight ends, and he, he blows up the scale. Um, we did the great when we did the greatest games of uh, the 2010s, and like I think seven of the top ten were his games because no one no one else could do what he did consistently. And it wasn't it wasn't a one time fluke thing. It was what he did just by being Gronk. So uh, that is uh, going to do for most of our show today. Before we go, as we are still working out the kinks of our plugs here two-thirds of the way through the season, but I do want to say hello to our friends at Underdog Fantasy. If your season-long fantasy teams are floundering, you can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. You can play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You can even win $50,000 if you grab first place or try their pick'em games where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERSNOW to double your first deposit up to $100. And while you're doing this while you're signing up for things don't forget to sign up for fo plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe you get nfl betting picks you get fantasy advice you get premium stats premium articles and an ad free experience so, and if you wait a day or two you get a black friday sale don't do it today <laughs> get, get by for 48 more hours or so then sign up for football for fo plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. And uh, last but not least, I want to invite you all to join us on the Football Outsiders Discord. 
in-game conversation for every game, every Sunday. You're chatting there with the uh, DFO crew and uh, a lot of our favorite readers. So that is going to do it for today. I want to thank Aaron. I want to thank Brian for, for joining us. And mostly I want to thank you, the listeners, for being here and being part of the show because uh, you're the reason we're here. So that is going to do it for today. Everyone enjoy your holiday, and we will, we will be back next week.